0: I'm Alex Shaw.
1: I'm Sharon Shaw. And,
0: and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. Man on Wire and the Walk. Impossible! Impossible!
2: Impossible!
3: He said, "Well, I want to, I want to string a wire between uh, the two World Trade Center towers." I knew he was a nut, or a
4: con
5: man, or something.
2: As a child, I loved to climb. Nobody could stop me.
5: If you want something, nothing is impossible. He told me he was a French journalist.
2: It's impossible, that's sure. So let's start working.
0: There's 200 feet between the towers. And there were going to be some guys in the north tower. The whole idea would be that Jean-Louis would send the arrow from one building to another. What? We just weren't ready. Ma'am! I didn't want to be liable for the death of a friend.
2: Why did you do this? Police took a humorless view of the act. Why did Where
3: you do did it? You There is no way. Beyond anything you can ever imagine. Mind-boggling.
2: I saw his face changing. Now I'm going to perform. This is probably the end of my life, to step on that one. Death is very close.
4: And so I cried, looked, looked, and he loved
2: I figured I was watching something that somebody else would never see again in the world. Thought it was once in a lifetime. Life should be lived on the edge. This is what we're here for. See every day as a true challenge and then you live your life on the title.
0: This is a commissioned show for Angus Lee. Tonight we are talking about one of the most extraordinary real-life heists of all time. A moment in 1974 when very French street performer Philippe Petit snuck into the newly built... Petit. I know it's Petit. It's Philippe Petit, the finest Frenchman you ever want to meet. (laughs) snuck into the newly built twin towers of the World Trade Center and managed to set up a tightrope at the very top of the tallest buildings in the world and walk across. Now, I knew of these movies, but we hadn't seen either of them when Angus suggested The Walk, which is the dramatization, and we had already hit our four commissions slots for this season. But the 2015 Robert Zemeckis movie of the events leading up to this stunt stood at 81% freshness, which is a good sign. And astonishingly, the 2008 documentary, which clearly inspired the feature film, stands at a flawless 100% freshness now that is an enticing proposition oh it's gonna get so french tonight so we got hold of both blu-rays and we watched them over two nights and both are delightful both are melancholy not least due to those towers no longer being there and the genuinely tragic loss of both life and a sense of safety that this orchestrated disaster constituted And in a very welcome turn, the feature film manages to not just be a recreation of what was spoken of and shown in vintage footage in that documentary, the two, in fact, complement one another. This is doubly impressive if you know about the far less successful recent example of this same principle, Robert Zemeckis directed Welcome to Marwen, a 2018 Steve Carell film that dramatises the 2010 documentary Marwen Cole. In that documentary about a chap named Mark Hogankamp, we see a man who was assaulted outside a bar 10 years previously after some guys took exception to his ladies' high-heeled shoes. He was in a coma for nine days and hospitalised for 40, losing much of his memory of his previous life. His manner of coping involved building a World War II-era Belgian town in his backyard, populating it with his friends and his attackers, and effectively working his way through self-administered therapy with action figures. The Zemeckis film utilized uncanny animation and was rather more melodramatic and drippy than the documentary, and I think worst of all, for our purposes, it literally explains its own subtext most of the way through, detailing every instance of symbolism verbally, giving Sharon and I nothing to work with. It also makes the fictionalized version of the real life mark more of an unsettling creep, making it a failure in virtually every way possible, which is so disappointing because the setup is at least arrestingly in our wheelhouse. So rather than talk about the Man on Wire documentary and then the The Walk feature film, effectively, telling you the same story and the same events twice with different focus we're going to do what watching the films in sequence doesn't which is to merge the events in chronological order roughly and look at how each film handles each scenario because they are serving different masters but there is definitely some crossover so first question who is Philippe Petit who is this man <laughs>
2: In the middle of the night, I have a, almost like a nightmare. I wake up and I had forgotten to nail shut the crate. So I go there and it was raining. I must have waked up the whole neighborhood, you know. It was not closing the box, it was nailing the coffin. I am nailing the coffin. I, I see it as that. Why why this expression, why this thought? Well, maybe death is now looking uh, through the through the
0: golden frame of this dream and now reality is going to maybe chop me to death. Does it make any sense to conduct... I mean, okay, so the documentary begins and he is hammering a box together. It's like, it's a, there's a, they, they use a lot of recreation footage. They, uh, the, um, the British documentarians got in uh, actors to reenact stuff that hadn't been caught on file footage and to sort of give you a flavour of what was there. That's effectively... The Zemeckis film takes that and runs with it in a very showy way. Mm. So in the documentary, he's hammering this box together, which has got all the cable and all the equipment and stuff that he's taking up to the uh, towers. And, you know, I am hammering together my coffin. He's scared because he's putting this together, but he could fall within a few hours and plummet to a very messy death. And so it starts you with that level of tension. And in the feature film, we begin on the Statue of Liberty. And it's like, I expected that pigeon from an American tale to turn up and start singing as he went round and round a creepy rotoscope Statue of Liberty. I was like, don't you wink at me.
3: Never say never. Whatever you do again.
5: Never say never.
3: To me. See
5: how easy.
3: If you believe you and come shining
5: through that's that's how it's gonna be
0: (laughs) and she did anyway but uh, joe gordon levitt is on top of the uh, of the torch and he is playing philippe petit and he's sort of he is he is french he is wearing a black turtleneck and he is doing an outrageous accent he's so much fun to watch that you kind
1: of forgive it almost immediately The thing that intrigued me the most watching the two of them side by side was how visually different Joe Gordon-Levitt is from Philippe. Mm -hmm. Like, right down to the fact that Philippe is blonde.
0: He is a ginger.
1: Strawberry blonde And and yet, uh, Joe Gordon-Levitt, he doesn't dye his hair or anything like that. No, no, he's got black hair. This is not an attempt to physically imitate Philippe. However, Mm. he did so much training like Philippe taught him how to wire walk in preparation for the film and in the process of spending so much time with him without it being a deliberate imitation he has taken on aspects of how Philippe communicates and how he experiences his passions and then puts that across to other people and so that it's almost like, the spirit of Philippe is there, even if the body isn't.
0: Mm. I mean, it's, it's exactly what uh, the, the best actors recreating a person could ever possibly ask for. They decided to get Philippe to train because he was still absolutely alive. He's still, at the time of recording, alive and kicking and talking about stuff and very animated and excited. He is an infectiously... ...fun person to watch. Like, as soon as he starts talking, he's so passionate about everything. And he trained Joe to walk the wire. And the way most of the wire walks worked with Joe in the Zemeckis film... ...was they would green screen out safety guarding wires... ...that were sort of um, keeping him... So if he he dropped... ...even if there's a crash mat beneath... ...if you land... ...if both your legs go out at the same time... ...and you drop nuts first onto that wire... Doesn't matter if there's a cable holding you uh, you up. That's that's uh, that's not a uh, injury you walk away from. So um, they, they were, there there were safety guidance there, but ultimately Joe had to get into the mindset of this is all for real. He had to see past the green screen and at the same time understand that when Philippe walks on the wire, he's not really seeing what's there in front of him. He can't. He can't look down. He can't look around. The more he knows and is aware of his surroundings, the less likely he is going to be able to safely walk across without losing his nerve. It's and that's the tension the whole way through the film.
1: Absolutely. It seems it seems to be, for him, and whether this is how all people wire walk, I don't know, but for Philippe, it seems to be about... It's not so much not being aware of his surroundings. I'm sure
0: there are wire walkers listening now on the podcast. going, Philippe Petit does not speak for all of us.
1: <laughs> He's reckless and an embarrassment.
0: Oh, did someone say they're using wires? <laughs> These kids today, my <laughs> blood's boiling.
1: His awareness shifts when he's up there. And the, the both the documentary and the film capture this with the camera. Mm. The focus is very rarely far back enough to give you a full body shot mm. to see either Philippe or Joe standing on the wire with sky above them and open space beneath them and oh there's the ground down there looking very very threatening
0: it would be very difficult to get the ground it would and Philippe of I, any kind in shot that. at the same yeah, time I realise that you look off in the far far distance you're like oh there's the ground all the way over there
1: yeah no but what I mean is there it would be possible to sort of angle it so that you get an idea of a, a sort of a, a third party hmm. perspective on what's going on here but it's not. This is about being in the head of the man who is yeah. doing it. The it's, man on the wire. They
0: are, in the same way that Joe was learning from Philippe to sort of like get into his mindset, almost the whole point of the walk is to get us into Philippe's mind and so that we can experience the way he sees the world yeah. when he hits that zone.
1: And how even the framing of the imagery for me does this is that it's, it's almost always you're seeing him from sort of maybe hip height up Mm. so when he's holding he's got this very long balance bar Mm. so you can see that he's holding that that. yeah Um, but the important thing is the sky and the space around him Mm. while he's up there and it's almost like there's you can feel this shift from him being um, sort of potentially to in his physical frame mm. and aware of the wire beneath his feet and the floor way down there and the people way down there and sort of everything of the earth pulling him down and being able to shift his perspective into this kind of open expanse mm. above him and it all being about the wire is there to get him up into this, mm. this almost dome of awareness
0: So you hear um, that a guy walked across between the uh, uh, Twin Towers and you think, well, that couldn't have taken long. How could they make a whole film out of that, let alone two films? But the lengths he had to go to in order to get himself there and the people he surrounded himself in are more fascinating than most movies and it absolutely justifies its runtime both times. Both films fly by. Mm -hmm. Both films are exhilarating and a joy and they, they really grab you in a, in a kind of humanistic way uh, that like they, they want to draw you in so Joe Gordon-Levitt is even more than Philippe uh, in in real life is a showman so he's got like a top hat and he's sort of gesturing and doing hand movements as he sort of draws you in he is being a street performer on la liberté and gesturing to these two amazing silver towers in the background in a view that we know no longer exists, only exists in our mind, and they never ever mention 9-11 in either film, wisely knowing that that spectre looms so large you don't have to mention it. That everyone's feeling that these towers are at once there and not there. People ask me, why do you risk death?
2: For me, this is life. Welcome to New York. Anything to declare? I'm going to hang a high wire between the two towers of the World Trade Center and work on it. (laughs) Good luck. No matter where I was going or what I was doing, I was always searching, looking for the perfect place to hang my wire. I need you to help me pull this off. I got just the guys.
5: Now it starts. This is extremely illegal, not to mention dangerous.
2: My head is full of doubts. When it's time to step on the wire, I don't know if I'll be able to take my first step.
0: Your heart will tell you what to do.
2: The man is obviously crazy. Are we just here to watch him die?
3: This isn't a game, Philippe. One mistake out there, that you're going to die.
0: To further ingratiate uh, you uh, as, as a... Uh, I suppose, ringmaster of ceremonies. Um, it becomes really apparent in both the documentary and uh, the film that he and cops don't exactly get on. Like, he's not gonna be like,
5: fuck the police!
0: <laughs> Futre la police. They cut to uh, an earlier time when he walked between, was it um, a bridge close to Sydney Opera House? And like, when, when the Australian police realised what he was doing, they just had to kind of pull up and wait angrily for him to get down because yeah. obviously the Australian police figured if we interfere, chances of him falling away higher. So we just wait patiently for him to come down and he comes down, immediately surrenders himself and uh, manages to uh, half inch one of the policemen's watches uh, just because he's a cheeky bastard.
1: Yeah, it's the Sydney Harbour Bridge and it's it's not dissimilar to a previous um, walk that he'd done between the two turrets of the...
0: Oh, yeah, of Notre, Notre Dame. Dame,
1: his interactions with the cops and the the kind of the specter of authority, if you like, <laughs> his his attitude towards doing things which are unusual, let's say, is that if it's if what he's doing is not hurting anybody why should the authorities have a problem with it? Mm. And the purpose of him doing it, which is kind of, he's, he hints at it in the documentary and then uh, Gordon-Levitt exa- uh, elaborates on that in the in the film, is that it's about providing people with a spectacle. The objections of the police are not that he's hurting anybody, but that he is disruptive. He is doing something that nobody else does, that is only in the most technical way illegal. I think one of his accomplices researches the Sydney Harbour Bridge issue for him and tells him explicitly, this is against an ordinance, but it's like a local guideline law. It's not a criminal law. It's more you're of not a gonna, guideline. Exactly. You're not going to end up with a criminal record for doing this, but you might get fined. That's the, the kind of the wire he's walking, if you like.
0: Walking on a wire between a bridge and Sydney Opera House is a bootable offence.
1: <laughs> Something like that. Um, he's walking between two turrets of the Harbour Bridge. That's the the, one. the Opera House was in the background, but it yeah, wasn't in
0: It was just a really great sort of... Backdrop. Backdrop
1: to this, yeah. but the I can't
0: even imagine what the, the, the difficulty and logistics of trying to somehow walk a diagonal wire between two of those gorgeous crests of Sydney Opera House.
1: Indeed. The element that the police are objecting to is the disruption. Hmm. It's the, everybody will stop and look at you. The traffic will grind to a halt. Things will not flow. The, the system will not flow the way it should. And ultimately, Philippe's point is... Good. That's what I'm here for. The purpose is to cause a harmless... uh, Destruction. Destruction! Disruption. It's not exactly an entertainment, Mm. because he's not just there to do something silly. He's not clowning. But the point is to get people to pause in their everyday churn, churn, churn of the same daily routine and look up and look at the sky these amazing buildings that you live right next to and you probably don't look at all that much because you go past them every day on your commute to look at somebody doing something that nobody else would think of to do and think oh my god the endless possibility that that that, that opens up that is his purpose that is feeds into everything that he does and that's why it sets against. The people who just want the system to keep running the way it always has, the way it always will, don't show people that it is possible to do things differently.
0: When you first hear uh, the guy who walked between the Twin Towers, you think, Christ, how did he get the people who owned the towers to agree to this? What kind of permits did he have to sign? And that's the whole premise of the movie. It's a heist. He did it without asking anyone's permission it was a sneak in get it done quick but like he had to take all kinds of precautions with the uh, safety equipment and it had to be very carefully arranged because fucking around with it doing it in a kind of haphazard let's just get it done quick way without thinking very carefully about it he's going down
1: and that's why the like the previous events Hmm. that he did although they they weren't intentionally trial runs for Mm -hmm. this because he hadn't decided to do this yet exactly i think the the sydney harbour bridge one he had decided that he was going to do the two towers but not the the cathedral but it was it was a case of okay what in this instance could have gone better what could i add to this to improve on it how is the how are the towers different from these ones i've done before and what would i need to change to make it work
0: The way it works, in the documentary he describes it, in the film we see it, he opens a magazine in a doctor's office and sees the building construction plan in advertisement for the Twin Towers, which he explains to us, my aspiration had not been built yet. He has this sudden dream to walk between two towers that aren't yet there. And again, Putting them in a place of it's almost like Schrödinger's towers. Mm. They don't exist yet, and he plans to walk on them. We remember the towers, but they aren't there anymore. They exist, and yet they do not exist. There's a
1: fleeting window in history when they existed, and he was able to do this thing. Yes, and also I think that again the framing of of the opening that Zemeckis put together, the the fact that. Gordon Levitt is out on the Statue of Liberty, rather than in the city, either in the city looking up at the towers or on, like the Empire State Building or something like that, part of Manhattan. It it makes it it enhances that sense of New York being the entrance to the Atlantic Ocean, this this opening out rather than a closing in. This feeling of you, the reason you want to be up that high is not just for its own sake, which obviously is how most people see skyscrapers and very tall buildings it's all about the building itself it's all about how big can we build and how tall can we get it and how much money can we throw into making this building the tallest ever so that everybody will talk about it it's not about the building it's about the perspective that being up there provides you and that perspective is useless if you don't turn it in the right direction
0: quite apart from the fact that the statue of liberty was a gift from france to america so if someone sits down and goes hey frenchie you're coming over here walking on our buildings it's like you're welcome for the statue of liberty
1: fine we are taking our statue back
0: (laughs) but she also represents everything good about america the the whole give me your tired your poor your huddled masses that opening to immigrants to come to this land to make a name for themselves to make a a life for themselves to be a
1: welcome not a
5: guardrail
0: as opposed to a black American stars and bars.
5: We're to enforce this shit! This is America!
0: It's... It's the opposition to that. Now there's Papa Rudy, played by Sir Beneth of Kingsley, uh, who has another outrageous accent! And we never meet
1: him in the documentary, do we?
0: They, they didn't really have time to get him across. Oh, there was a deleted scene at the beginning of the doc where he starts to step out on the wire. But because both films are a heist, they very wisely decided, let's not give them that yet. Let's not make them the pledge and start doing the act already. Let's just show it, have us imagine it along with him, and then hold it in. Don't don't get him on that wire until act four. Well the
1: pledge is the front of the Blu-ray. Yes. Yeah. It's right there. You know what this is about. You know how this movie yeah. ends.
0: And you know he didn't die. Yeah. At least you think he didn't. In the documentary, it's more clear he didn't die. He's talking to us.
1: <laughs> and we're seeing lots
0: of lovely file footage on Super 8 of, uh, of a young spry uh, street performer with ginger hair, strawberry blonde, if you will, mm-hmm. um, just sort of uh, riding on a unicycle juggling and just to the amusement of everyone around him. He is so French. He. That he he stops short of being a mime, but Zemeckis was like...
1: Oh, he's so close. <laughs> Zemeckis was
0: like, let's nudge him into mime into town. Into mime territory. For one yeah. section where he meets uh, uh, a, a woman who is very important uh, in, in, this, uh, in, in this story. That's Annie. And she is kind of his muse at this point, like his, his emotional of, yeah. support. Yeah. Like she meets him when he's starting this plan. And their relationship ends and slowly trails down Mm. after he's finished it. She is there for this very passionate, important time of his life.
1: It would be very easy to look at Annie's role in all of this and go, oh, she's just the female support. She's just there to give him this emotional boost. And she doesn't really have her own story. But because it's real life...
0: you could say that about Jack Kirby's wife. Well, indeed. She kept him sane during... All of that time he was giving and giving and Absolutely.
1: giving. But, it, and it is a very stereotypical role for people to assume that women will play and be happy playing for their entire lives, if necessary. But the the significance of this being a real story is that we get to pull back and see both the beginning and the end of this relationship. And because they get to speak to Annie herself, we get that input of, for that Short duration of time, while this event was being planned, she devoted so much of herself to Philippe. She knew she couldn't sustain that. That was not something that she could continue to do. And ultimately, what she was devoting herself to was the project. It wasn't necessarily Philippe as a a person, like, lifelong partner. It was your passion about this specific thing is what drew me in in the first place. I will... Support that, and when that is done, then our part together in this world closes out. It's it's I don't even know if I can really call it romantic, but it's it's it is very incredibly, bittersweet. It's very bittersweet. As especially is... as we
0: get to see the older version of her in real life looking back on this and crying with release at being able to think about this in full focus mm. as she takes us through her part in this. But
1: that's that what what brings that emotion out in her or what it's certainly what it seems to be it is her memory of how she felt at that time I never got the feeling from her of regret or anything like I wish I could go back I wish I could change it I wish we could have stayed together and found something else to keep us together she didn't seem to need any of that it was like I gave you everything you needed for this duration of time I think the way the way they phrase it in the the Motion In the film, motion picture, Good Lord Harold... The motion picture! <laughs> the way they frame it at the end of the film like is... Like Star Trek. She says, this was your dream, now I have to go and find mine. She hasn't had the space to look for her own purpose, and she's fine with that for that duration of time, but she does also recognise that it is something that she wants, and it's not something that she wants to do with Philippe. She wants to go and do that on her own. And that, honestly, although she is a very... Annie is a very ephemeral character in the film. Airy. She's yeah, she's very she's almost not there. She's like a feather that drifts into his life. And is constantly there in front of him, guiding him along. And then she floats away and does her own thing. A muse, a so name for dryad. Exactly. So it would be very easy to look at her and go, "Well, she's not. She's not really being framed as a real person." But she totally is. Mm. She she clear is very clear about the fact that she has her own past, her own present. She's at college when they meet, and she's you know she's got an education to focus on, and she has a future. There is a whole person there. It's just that the focus for this particular story is on him. Hers is a separate side story. And honestly, sequel—what Annie went and did afterwards—I'd be quite happy with that. She's great, but um, but yeah, I, I I like the way she's framed, and it and it does seem very to fit very naturally with the older woman that we see in the documentary, mm. telling this retrospective of this period in her life that she was clearly extremely inspired by. Um, but didn't feel the need to artificially prolong. Mm-hmm.
0: Papa Rudy uh, Ben Kingsley, who I mentioned earlier, is uh, briefly I think alluded to in the doc, but is more significant in the film because it becomes apparent he was training Philippe for a long time in wire walking, and like so, so this is the Obi Wan Kenobi. And, uh, you know, taking payments for the lessons. And at the end of his training, when he is a fully accomplished Jedi Wirewalker, Sir Beneth gives him all his money back that he's just been putting aside for him. And that becomes the basis of the funds that sets up this heist.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is, is a little bit different from real life, from the sounds of things. He
0: earned a he lot had, of that street performing.
1: He, he did earn quite a bit of it. He also had... Uh, I, I think somebody implied he actually comes from a relatively wealthy family, so he does have... Oh, check of,
0: out the little rich boy um, here.
1: Or, or, and, and he had, like, a couple of, of people who were particularly fond of his performances who were more well-off and gave him oh, more than you would expect patrons. to get. Patrons. Let exactly. me tell
0: you, folks, there is nothing better there to There be is
1: a noble artistic a history... patron. ...to being supported by patrons. To seeing people this doing something like...
0: splendid and going, I want to make this happen and I want them to be eating Nachos when they do it.
1: This is a many thousand year old tradition. Artists it's a have always
0: honor. needed nachos.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Keeps
0: the lights going.
1: But the but what I really liked about how that the the giving of the money was was set up mm. is that Papa Rudy has sons who he has trained mm. and they have gone off to do their own thing. And here are
0: my eight acrobatic sons.
1: Initially, when. Philippe goes to him, it's as a paying student, as you say. But by giving him the money back, what he's effectively saying is, you are now another one of my sons. I trained you for free as I would have done my own kids. You go do your thing.
2: If I do the work with a safety line, it it becomes meaningless. Would you work with a safety line? Years ago, when you first started to teach me in this house, I was a stupid little kid and I never listened to you, but you told me something I always remember. You said you cannot lie on stage. I think I understand now. You know, Philippe,
3: what you're doing, I may not understand it, but it's something beautiful
0: and uh, what his thing uh, entails during all of this training is a lot of falls and fails the uh, uh, the documentary shows him sort of setting up wires that are just 8 feet above the ground, obviously I say just 8 feet I would fall from I would shit myself and die in, <laughs> in a Isn't second, I have no balance whatsoever, <laughs> I can barely walk in and out of this room um, but uh, yeah, the, You'd be fine
1: as long as you didn't have any doorways to catch your elbows on
0: It goes between him sort of, you know, cheerfully being able to walk back and forth And he has these sort of sort of black slippers and very light clothing And he, he just seems to be in his element the, Another deleted scene in the film, he, he does it while holding Annie Like sort of walking uh, down the wire It's a uh, uh, beautiful shot and uh, preposterously difficult to set up And... Um, the the notable thing is, as we said before, he can't observe his surroundings. He he uh, manages to get clearance to do a wire to so set up a wire walk across a river in France and people are just sort of all spectating from the shore and he looks down at the river and goes straight in because Mm -hmm. it's just, it's too much, it overtakes him. So that illustrates, especially uh, with the uh, feature film, well, the motion picture, the the Joe Gordon-Lovett version, that there's, again, constant tension of all it takes is one lapse in concentration and he is going down.
1: There's a, right, there's a lot that goes on in Philippe's head, in terms of the way he appears to look at the world, perceive the world, filter it and understand it for himself, that I recognised a lot. Oh,
4: yeah?
1: How he maintains the incredible level of focus that is necessary to do what he does... And how he frames that when he's talking about it so that it almost became, for me, I have to do the wire walking, it's the only way I can focus. It takes me out of the the clamour of the world, it puts me above all of that and it gives me something very specific and life-threatening to pay attention to and that gives me this feeling of all of my focus that is usually everywhere comes down to this one Mm -hmm. important point
0: it's a calling it's a or it's finding the thing that he does that puts him in touch with another plane
1: yeah it's it's the if you want to break it down to like a really simplistic level it's a flow state it's a mental flow state and so far it would appear the only thing that really gets him in that frame of mind is wire walking
0: he's a uh, a world class wire walking athlete yeah. effectively and, and so
1: then the whole song. the heist element of it and all of the preparation because one thing that did occur to me was all of this effort goes into the setup and working out what needs to be... But this is... this is Because this is something that he's only going to get one chance to pull off.
0: Yeah. That's if that, why like there's a constant them, fear that they're going to get rumbled.
1: Yeah. All of his trial and error, which is, for the record, a really important element of learning to do anything. If, you, if you're going to learn to do something, you have to fuck it up X number of times. Hmm. Because otherwise, you're not going to eliminate all of the things that you don't do. And... That's all of his, like, little two-foot-off-the-ground, six-foot-off-the-ground, eight-foot-off-the-ground wires in the field, where he's, he's setting them up with practice runs. And, he's, it, and we see him, it's more, I think, more in the documentary, possibly because in the film there's more of him training with Papa Rudy and actually being taught one-to-one how to do this stuff. Hmm. Um, in... I mean, it's
0: good, if you're going to train with... Uh, uh, he's probably the best person to train with because Rudy can't fail.
1: Oh, very good. <laughs> Yeah, Rudy can't fail, but I certainly can. Yes. Um, but um, uh, and it was really nice hearing that for for Joe Gordon Levitt, that was almost there was having learned so much from Philippe, he then got to learn about the acting side of things from Ben Kingsley, mm. which he. Found really valuable because obviously, like this is this is something that that people may or may not know about Joe Gordon Levitt. He takes the craft of acting incredibly seriously,
0: but not in a method but acting in, douchebag no, way. No, no,
1: not like that at all. But but just like it's right. Wire walking is what Philippe does mm. to find his flow. Acting and, and performing is what Joe Gordon-Levitt does to find his flow.
0: Which you wouldn't imagine from him when you see him in stuff like Ten Things Ahead About You. He's unimposing as an no, actor, absolutely. as a young guy.
3: Let's try to demander on question, Cameron. Comment demanderai-tu de sortie avec toi? Yeah. Like he he, he's, he, he's he mostly
0: cut his teeth on Third Rock from the Sun.
1: He doesn't seem to have much in the way of ego at all. He's so understated and, and like chill when he talks... Off, uh, out of the, the performing space, mm. but it's very clear that that performing space is really important to him. Yeah, but the
0: also, being able to work with Zemeckis. That's, oh, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime, if-you're-lucky, opportunity Indeed. as an actor.
1: But yeah, to go back to what I was saying before, the, the fact that he's only going to get one shot at these big stunts, they're not... They're, you know, he does the thing where he goes up and walks on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. You can guarantee they are then going to figure out a way to stop people going up on the Sydney Harbour Bridge in case anybody copies him. Um, and the that's why all of this preparation why all of this we have to think about what could go wrong and preempt it and put things into place and when it comes down to the fact that the walk itself only takes a short period of time then there are inevitable questions about to what extent is it worth it is all of this effort all of this money all of this focus the the time consuming element of All of your, like, 20 hours a day he's planning this thing in the lead-up to to going to to pull this off. Mm. This is not a, well, after work I might do a few, a little bit of a project. This is it, everything. It takes all of his attention in the lead-up to it.
0: And I admire uh, actors who put that much extra into it. Like uh, I found out uh, today Anson Mount, the guy who played Black Bolt in that rubbish Inhumans TV show, developed because his character... Uh, cannot talk but doesn't just want to use american sign language developed his own version of speaking without speaking so that he uh, he could express through acting with his body that's so much further than the crappy show would ever have required of him Indeed. so well done captain pike
4: yeah
0: this kind of effort strikes the perfect balance for me between not caring about the project and going so method that you behave like an asshole to everyone. It's a Goldilocks level of effort.
1: All of Philippe's attention goes into planning this this thing. And you can see him kind of move from planning for the cathedral, mm. planning for the bridge... Planning for the towers. There's always got to be a, a like a thing that he's setting his mind to. Does this
0: bringing your your mind back to say 2016 through 2017. Yes. Sharon and I spent. Uh, you may remember that one time we managed to get ourselves to uh, Florida and and uh, uh, Disney and and just do that. Something we've been planning since our kid was born. In fact, before then, and we spent every week planning some new facet of it down to, like, not so that it was rigorously planned, but it was that itself, the planning, was an incredibly engaging hobby. Mm, absolutely. And it feels like, like, when we finally finished and we went there and then we came back and it was amazingly executed and just this astonishing, apparently once in a lifetime opportunity, because Jesus Christ right now, but... Um, Afterwards, we we, we felt an absence in our life. We were like, what what are we... What are we going to do? Kind of like coming back after Lord of the Rings and being back at the Shire again. So we got a dog. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Indy was our next adventure, and we uh, had to do a lot of planning for that. But, you know, he's... uh, You know, our lives have been measurably improved by having him with us. He has helped me, if nothing else, to be able to cope with some very difficult dark times. Mm. But... I can very much relate to the idea of super hyper focusing on a project. And then when it's done, you feel that sense of elation and a little bit of deflation because the planning of it was so all encompassing. Mm.
1: But something that I think people who don't see the, the world and the progress of time that way many people don't not you know we all look at the this world in a different way and that is absolutely fine that is that is as it should be we should all bring our own personal perspective to how we do these things but for those of us who do look at the world in that kind of way the accomplishment of the thing is i'm not going to say it's not the point but you don't go into it expecting that that sense of and it's done is going to last you the rest of your life. That's not the point of it. You're not doing all this planning and and um, arranging all of this research and these ideas and, and problem solving to have just for the sake of having accomplished the thing. The planning and the preparation and the uh, the the heist itself is so much a part of it. If he'd just been able to throw money at it and go, permit, equipment... Yeah, which check I out the
5: little witch boy. ...which
1: I will pay somebody to ship there for me, and I will fly first class, and I will meet you at New York airport, and a taxi picks me up and takes me there, and the guards escort me to the top, and I step out on the wire, and I do the wire walk, and then it's done... Do you think that would satisfy him, even vaguely in the same way?
0: Elon Musk, try it.
1: He does. Frequently. <clears throat> it doesn't help, does it, Elon? Are you happy, Elon? Are you? <laughs> is really? Is he happy? Is he, is he really happy? happy? I don't think he is.
0: Attempt a wire walk in space. What's oh, so
1: are going to tie the ends to?
0: <laughs> the Earth! <laughs>
1: Walk between the earth and the moon. And no the sun. On day. The sun. Just keep going. <laughs>
0: just keep going. If you can
1: travel at light speed, it'll take you eight minutes. Yeah. You
0: no one else has done it, Elon. You could be the first. Right, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> that way we don't even have to hike him into the sun. He can just walk there.
0: So, um, <laughs> we are now in New York. He's uh, Philippe is flying out to research the currently under construction towers. He's sneaking around in this building site-like area, and he steps on a fucking rusty-ass nail. I
1: had to look away.
0: Oh, my God. And it's like, that's a horrible incident, but think about what he's doing. Think about how important your foot is
4: for a wire walk.
0: Oh, oh, my God. I mean, like, it just, it added huge layers of tension and empathy and and, and, and stricken pain to both films, but especially the Zemeckis one, because they don't let you forget that. They, they let it go away for a bit, and then his friend notices later when he's wearing his sand, uh, his uh, his little uh, black slippers, you're bleeding. Like, you are bleeding through your foot, and he just doesn't notice. He's like, I I have to not notice this. The other thing is, if you're leaving a trail of blood along a cable that you then need to like steady yourself on oh my god and it just it was like it, it's not a whatever can go wrong will go wrong because they get lucky many times but there are some scrapes and there are some difficulties there and one of the things that he said when he was talking about being at the top of the towers and looking down and just uh, I believe that uh, he was looking down on, I'm just going to double check this yeah I was right Trinity Church is visible from the top of the World Trade Center in in several shots, especially in the uh, Zemeckis film. Trinity Church, in my book, Nightfall of the Wendigo, was at the time in late 19th century New York, the absolute tallest point in New York City. It is minuscule by comparison from all the way up there. And one of the things that uh, in the documentary... Uh, Philippe said and I love this as a turn of phrase He's he's looking down and he is just trying to comprehend how he's going to be able to do this That's such a ridiculous. It's it's so impossibly high that it almost becomes Like negligible, you know, once you get beyond a certain height, you're just pancaked But the way he phrased it was I would fall into another life And I love that as a philosophy, as even simply like, it's not even catastrophizing. It is simply a strange acceptance of this would be my fate. I love it as a sentiment. I love it as a, a perspective on life. I would fall into another life. And the way he managed to get over his anxiety of of this just being so impossible, because no one else had done anything even like it, the closest was him, Um, uh, was to get in a helicopter, like on the little rich boy, and (laughs) fly way above the World Trade Center so that he could get the perspective on that and effectively get above his own fears. It was... There's a... A sense of circles just ever-increasing, and rippling outwards. I love that as well. This is a, uh, I mean, both movies get quite thoughtful, which I love. We need time to be able to get into that kind of mindset, to be able to give ourselves permission. And obviously it's a lot harder for some people than others. Philippe and I travelled to New York together and I remember looking out through this hazy airplane window and seeing in the far distance the twin towers. We'd come all of this way and, and this was our, this is what we're here for. Metropolis,
2: France's number one journal of urban planning. We are preparing a feature profile of the workers who are presently constructing the World Trade Center in New York. Our credentials reporter, Philippe Petit, kindly request your cooperation for this article. He told me he was a French journalist, and it was just not normal for me to say, show me your, your credentials, if you would. He was going to write a story about the World Trade Center for the French newspapers, and he had two photographers with him. and. Uh, I thought that was pretty good publicity.
5: You completely trust the building yourself. Um, I Are mean, you safe? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, like tumbling down, falling down or something? Yeah. No, I'd no, say.
4: <laughs>
0: he was this sort of long haired Australian and this sort of very volatile Frenchman who couldn't speak great English. <laughs> so <laughs> we were journalists. And we enlisted Jim Moore, and he was the cameraman. <laughs> I remember Jim would act like he's taking a photograph of a worker then at the same time he'd put the camera down and He'd take a photograph of a pylon or a anchor anchor point or something
2: like that The towers were not corners facing corners They were askew Which was a problem for me to decide where to put my wire so in principle That's a cable across the two roof. I decided to attach the cable to what I believe were the strongest beam at the top of the roof. And then I'm going to tighten the wire to here on the south tower. A cable between two buildings of a long length, it sways, it goes up and down, and there is almost an invisible move, which is a a torsion on itself. So what we devise is say, it's, it's called a Cavaletti in the Circus balance. it's actually a guideline that is perpendicular to the axis of the wire and it goes down to uh, the ground. And now I am preparing
0: for Le Coup. We are going to do it. But for me, uh, I think film and score combined, film and music combined, might be key to my flow state. It's something I'm very good at with video editing, but rarely get to showcase. And I try to bring that to my audio dramas so that you've got a mental picture of what's happening in a cinematic way that goes with the voices, with the sound effects, and yes, the ambience and music. I think it's all about getting that image into the heads of my listeners, to let them see what I see by hearing what we're both hearing. Now it's time for us to kind of tell you about the team he's got around him because there's a lot of dudes who sort of pass in and out of this group and there's, uh, there's a lot of scallywags and uh, respectable types with a rebellious streak and, uh, and people who can get them in and inside men.
1: Anarchists.
0: And there is a little anarchy about it, yes, but in a, a non-armful way.
1: But, well that's what anarchy is is about in its purest form it's it's to do with why does that remember what I was saying at the beginning about an authoritative structure that regardless of whether or not what you're doing causes any harm they don't want you to do it because it's disruptive and it implies that the system can be other than it is well that's what anarchy is about it's about why do we need those authoritative structures
0: I dream of life without a monarchy the unrest in France will lead to anarchy anarchy how you say how you anarchy
1: <laughs> when I fight I make the other side panicky with my yes all right we need like the. there There are certain things that help support people and we need things that help those things to keep working but we don't necessarily need somebody at the top making sure that those systems continue to work even past the point where they are actually harmful themselves because a very structure that's been put in place to help people can become harmful if it is rigid and will not change as the people depending on its needs change
0: that's an explorative experimental and gentle form of anarchy. The uh, violent version is very much a fuck you, I'm gonna take what I want, do what I want, and I, there's no comeuppance because there's no such thing as law. That is a dickhead version of anarchy.
1: Yeah, I honestly, anybody who behaves like that claiming the term anarchist, I think, needs to take a long, hard look at themselves because it's even like people who claim they're nihilists and are actually just using it as an excuse to tear everything down. Yeah, it
0: must be exhausting. You're,
1: you're misusing these philosophies because you want to break shit. Yeah. I think, again, I think this is in the film, but Philippe says to Jean-Louis at one point.
0: Oh, there's a Jean-Louis, a Jean-Pierre, and Jean-Francois. I can't believe it. I mean, you could be more French.
5: Sensual, pleasure-loving French, you know, not going to war because they're all still in bed at (laughs) two in the afternoon, with the sheets coiled about their knees, lying there, scratching themselves. (laughs) Smoking a wise inside a turn. (laughs) Before one of them sloughs off the sheets to pad around the kitchen naked. No, not naked. Naked from the waist down. (laughs) To emphasize their nakedity. (laughs) Picking up yesterday's croissant crumbs with their sweaty feet. (laughs) Get something for breakfast, I'm starving! There's nothing, we have nothing, we're poor. Let's make love again instead of eating. No, the things you do to me. I am so sore. Even my toenails, leave me alone. There's nothing here I told you except chocolate bread. Chocolate bread, that's how they start the day. It's only going to escalate from there, isn't it? By lunchtime, you're fucking everybody you know.
4: <laughs>
5: I was in Paris recently. They are very good at pleasure. I was walking by a bakery, a boulangerie, which is fun to go into and to say even. And <laughs> I went in, a childish desire to get a cake. You know, I got to give me one of those chocolate guys, I said, and um, I was talking to somebody on the street. Popped in, was talking to somebody took a bite, I had to tell them to go away. This thing! I wanted to book a room with it. I said, where are you from? What kind of music are you into? Come on!
0: The most interesting, I think, at least in the Zemeckis film, is James Dale as Jean-Pierre, who I classify as their lucky rabbit's foot. There's another guy, uh, uh, Jean-Louis, who is a friend, and he's very much kind of a Samwise Gamgee type. He's very quiet and understated, and he's there for Philippe. Mm. But he doesn't really take a major dramatic part in the story. He's just sort of a quiet little rock that Philippe can rely upon, and he won't let him down. Is he
1: the one who's on Philippe's side of the tower when the walk goes on?
0: You know, I lost track of my jean John's.
1: Oh, no, he's, he's the one who ends up calling himself Jeff. <laughs> he calls him Jeff.
0: Okay, Jeff.
1: Yes, Jeff, Jeff to Jeff.
0: Again, that, if I just call him Samwise Gamgee, that's easier.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, Jean-Francois is the one under the tarp. That's a different one, and that is very dramatic. Mm. Okay, so, but let's talk about James Badgdale, Jean-Pierre. So these French dudes are uh, snooping around New York, and uh, they ask for some walkie-talkies at this guy's, I think, is it a pawn shop or an electronics shop? And uh, they, they ask for walkie talkies with a cable. And he's like, nah, that's outdated tech. I'm going to get you uh, walkie talkies that are, are, are wireless. And then they argue with each other in French and say, "If we don't, get, if we get the ones that are wireless, the police can hear us." And then he says back to them in French, "You know, if you're going to fuck around with this, you might need some help or something along those lines." He's very—he's kind of reminds me of Bradley Cooper. Mm. Um, he's very kind of like open shirt rock star, like you know, yeah, I'll absolutely do anything. And he is. Uh, He's the, he saves their ass repeatedly. He's kind of a smooth talker and. Um,
1: he's got. He's good at improvising shit to do, yeah. That they did not bring with them. Yeah. He's like the, the element of, all right, they've got all the planning and all the intel and, and sort of the, the passion to do this thing, but they don't know the environment. They don't know the layout. Mm. They don't know the people.
0: And uh, very specifically, how to talk to people when they're in...
1: How to talk to New Yorkers. How
0: to talk to New is a Yorkers.
1: very specific skill.
0: New York Teamsters as well. So, like, uh, when they are masquerading as workmen, trying to get the uh, equipment all the way up to the roof last thing at night so that they can kind of sneak up, his influence is sort of there so that he can just go, oh, we just got to get it up to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the top floor there. Forget about it. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and it effectively, they have to rely on this one guy who's operating the lift. And it's like, if we, like, he's going to have to wait for us to come down. We don't want to have to come back down. And uh, Jean-Pierre sort of says, hey, let me buy you a drink to the uh, elevator guy and just relieves that sense of like, oh, shit. And it, just, it kind of saves their ass and then kind of supports them from the outside. But like, he's there to grease the wheels and he does his job magnificently with charisma that rivals even Joe Gordon-Levitt.
1: Yeah, but he is also somewhat detached from the purpose of the, the project, or the coup as they refer to it. And mm. so when it They were going to, to call the it point-
0: the trick mm. for Americans or the coup to the French. It sounded a bit invasive, like they were planning well, on taking over the World Trade Center, so they decided not to call the film that. That's
1: the thing. In English, a coup... Ooh means something very specific and it's political. The purpose yeah. is that you're you're occupying almost, which is it is what they were doing, but it was a very temporary occupation yeah. for a very specific purpose. the This
0: ain't occupy Wall Street. Yeah. Different thing.
1: Um even though, yeah, that is what they're doing. Um, but hey, there you go. You want to bring people's attention to stock market crashes <laughs> while walking. That's how it's done.
0: Could it go wrong? <laughs> could (laughs) in a way that people associate with stock market crashes going wrong yes yeah okay
1: maybe not yeah so jean-pierre when they're they're almost done with their setup and it's dark and and annie's kind of down on the ground looking up at what's going on jean-pierre's like right okay they're not going to do anything else until the morning we're not going to see anything else until the morning let's go and get some sleep or something to eat Mm or or whatever he's like that setup's done. I can now go away and come back later. And mm. Annie won't. She wants to stay there all night.
0: So he gives her his he, jacket in a very nice way.
1: Yeah, yeah. But he's not. What I mean is, he's not like he's not committed to the the process. The art. Yeah. He is there to because he is he's intrigued. A,
0: yes. He is a very practical wheel greaser. He's a
1: facilitator. Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, there's also Barry Greenhouse, the inside man, who like looks like, I would imagine, J.J. J. Bittenbinder <laughs> <laughs> looked in his youth. He's got this, like, sort of handlebar mustache, and he looks a little bit like Jeff Goldblum in disguise. He meets Philippe in an elevator uh, in the run-up to the snooping around and says, Ah, I, uh... Know you? I've actually, I've actually seen you. I think was it he was there for the Sydney or the uh, not Dame? No, it's the
1: the French one. He's seen him perform in Paris. He's
0: seen him perform in Paris, so he he knew him, and he was like, "So, what are you doing here?" And Philippe kind of burst into tears and went we are trying to walk between the two towers and he said then you're going to need an inside man ah and I'm him it's not actually Jeff Goldblum he just looks like that but he's got this like really piercing gaze and he manages to sort of get them into areas and sort of give them the blueprints and layouts of where they're going to need to get this stuff so then the Zemeckis film kind of catches up with the flashback at the beginning of the documentary Joe Gordon-Levitt on the night before the actual heist is hammering this giant crate to And imagining that it's his coffin and like he bursts into the room that all the uh, French dudes are sleeping in on various couches. There's a couple of hippie stoners and burnouts as well. And this is the time when uh, the film kind of yanks back the curtain on uh, what Philippe might actually have been a bit more like to be working with uh, in uh, real life that kind of the documentary glosses over uh, as he's starting to get really anxious and that comes through in his uh, sort of stripped to the waist, hammering late into the night, and just sort of like bursts in and is like, "Yes, I just want to say thank you all for being with me." Hammer, and and they were like, "Oh, what the fuck, man!"
1: Philippe, we were sleeping. Yes, <laughs> or trying. I, to. I feel
0: like we're going to need to get a bit of sleep before we attempt this ridiculous thing. So
1: you're you, high on adrenaline. We're not so much. It's
0: important to note that before he did this walk, Philippe probably got about an hour's sleep in a week. Mm. Just, I, I don't even know how he was even capable of walking, let alone while walking. Indeed. So yeah, there's a little bit of screaming, angry, arrogant, exhausted obsession, which is kind of how American prestige movies like their geniuses. Mm. They like them to be really difficult to work with so that they can say, look, honey, genius doesn't come from a nice man. Mm.
1: There's, there's an interesting... There's an interesting... Interesting. There's an odd line... i chase
0: you around the garden with a bit of wood.
1: ...that, <laughs> that stories about... Screaming, angry, arrogant, exhausted, obsessive geniuses tend to fall on either side of, and one is the genius is worth it
0: because he has a beautiful mind. You
1: should all put up with it and tolerate it because look how much genius he has with him. And like then, Jared Leto. Yeah, and then there is the the genius is not worth it. It's incredibly destructive, and he needs help.
0: Jared Leto is a genius. He has to be.
1: And I think it is rare for a film to communicate well, he needs help, and the genius is worth it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> a tightrope to walk.
1: Yeah, and, I'm, and this is not me saying it's okay to treat everybody around you like shit if you're a genius by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. If anything, it's worse because you're a genius, you should know better. Mm. But what I mean is there's, everybody has abilities and flaws that are unique to them. Mm. And it is too common for us to look at people and only want to see the the, the abilities and skills and, and genius elements or only to want to see the flaws. And ultimately, it takes all of those to make the package of the human being. Yeah.
0: And one uh, phrase that kept recurring throughout both films was, my towers. Before they were even built, he had taken ownership of them. Not they belonged to me so much as he was twinned with them. He was the man between them.
1: What I got from that, from him repeatedly using that phrase, was, like you say, it's not about ownership. It's about the fact that the, the towers to him were something that they, they were not, could not be, to anyone else. They were His towers are almost like, um, like a spirit ghost version of the towers that nobody else can interact with because only Philippe interacted with them in that way.
0: And that spirit ghost version is impossible to destroy? Yeah. Very specifically when contacted about uh, what happened at 9-11, his official announcement was that on that day, my towers became the world's towers, that everyone got to share that sense of them being not there but there and Specifically, it's it's not really that the metal, it, it was the people inside them and everything that mm. that was about. And I like how both films uh, in, in mature fashion kind of stay away from trying to make profound statements about that. From trying to find overt meaning in this, which was at a specific time, so far before and disconnected from everything that was to do with their downfall aside from that it was a great american edifice and, and a, a sign of them trying to reach up to the face of god and that's something that can be destroyed in real life as a uh, symbolic gesture uh so when they are up just below the roof on the uh, uh, upper floors This is when it's after uh, hours and it's lights out and there are night watchmen prowling and there's a specific moment when uh, uh, one guy starts drawing very near with a flashlight and they jump under a tarpaulin. Now, this was recreated in a kind of... And we're under there trying to hold our breath uh, in the uh, documentary. But in the film, Zemeckis goes one further because under the tarpaulin in the film is a heightened...
1: It's an elevator shaft.
0: A sense of preposterous danger. They find themselves sat astride a beam in an as you say, an empty elevator shaft with a death drop just descending all the way to the basement. Representative of exactly what's up there and waiting for him. It's a it's it's dramatic license, but it's a really great way of represent they don't say Of course, the shaft wasn't actually there in the film, but it is a good way of illustrating that rather than just shush, the night watchman's walking past, what if he finds us? Oh, he'll throw us out. Here, for Philippe, it's we are on the precipice and I could fall into it.
1: And all of this lead up Mm. could end up being for nothing.
0: And this is with uh, Jean-Francois, the third Jean.
1: Right, that's Jeff. Okay. Because he's J.F. So that's why they call him there
0: Jeff. There you go, there. Uh, And this is someone that uh, he didn't know quite so much. He's not as Samwise Gamgee. Mm. But uh, he, he does say in the documentary that they did become rather intimate under there. Like, he, they practically got each other's toes jammed up each other's noses. And they, again, Zemeckis is trying to get that across. There is an intimacy about the way that they're shifting their weight carefully and helping each other. And I think they have to take off their shoes... At one point, and it's just while balancing over this precipice of doom. And I I appreciate that they just made this ridiculous full-throated additional scene of peril Mm. to illustrate how Philippe was feeling at that stage. how
1: tense things are at this point.
0: But also how incredibly... Reliant on his team, mm. he was. And both films make it abundantly clear he would get nowhere without all this help. It's like I said about the Ant-Man movies. He's not Ant-Man, he's team Ant-Man. He has to have his his people in the van to actually be able to work out where the fuck he's going.
1: The Scott in the chair. Scott
0: can't do this stuff! And then uh, there's a, another sequence where uh, they, they are walking the cable up the last flight of stairs in order to get it to the roof. And there's a guard sitting, watching them in the dark. And they're like, shit. But then there's a glint of light bouncing off his sunglasses. And it's like, is he wearing sunglasses at night? Is that fucker asleep? Uh, who I think if Jean-Francois starts to push him or, or does Philippe start to push Jean-Francois?
1: They're, they're carrying with something. With
0: the cable, between just them. like. And
1: I think it's This bit they actually toned down for the film. It's quite straightforward. Mm. But in the documentary, they talk about the fact that uh, they both spotted the guard, but mm. neither of them wanted to speak. So uh, Jean Francois started trying to pull Philippe forward so that mm. he would see him, see the guard. And Philippe is trying to pull
0: Je- Jeff, Jeff backwards, Jeff backwards so a, that he could see him. the guard. <laughs> yeah. Just
1: so that they both knew that they'd both seen him.
0: So again there's lots of sort of tension leading up to this and then when they get to the roof you can't just go right now we've got this cable on the roof how the fuck do you get a cable across from one tower to the other and the way they did it begins with a bow and arrow firing a light monofilament between one tower and the other they need to catch the arrow on this side the arrow of course misses and goes down who knows where, it's pitch black at night, and Jeff disappears to just double check on the sleeping guard, comes back up, and I don't think this was mentioned exactly in the documentary, but in the film, Joe Gordon-Levitt is completely Billy Bollocks, running around the place, tackle out, waving it around to see if he can land the knob On the monofilament
1: That's not what he's doing He's trying
0: to find it With his testes No
1: It occurs to him That if the filament Has Kind of flown over The corner of the Mm. Observation deck That He won't see it Because it's dark Mm -hmm. It occurs to him That if he bumps into it it Fully clothed He won't feel it Because it'll just like Brush up against his sweater Or his trousers
0: It does not occur to him That French pervert Found running around (laughs) Baguette out (laughs) on top of the World Trade Center, France disgraced.
1: (laughs) So he tries running around in the nip in the hope that he will just bump into this filament and feel it because it will touch him on his skin. Uh It's not a ridiculous problem solving approach, but it did look funny.
0: Looked great. Uh, So. uh, He manages to find the arrow, manages to reach down for it. The monofilament is attached to a uh, piece of string, which is attached to a piece of rope, which is attached to a uh, stronger cable, which is attached to the main cable. And the main cable is incredibly heavy, and effectively they have to daisy-chain all of these different thicknesses and weights of, uh, of, of line together to start pulling this heavy cable across from one part of the roof to the other and even if they get one cable between these two diagonal points on the uh, the square edges of the tower they can't just he can't just walk out onto that it will sway to the left sway to the right and then he falls into another well, this is
1: this is one of the first things that he works out because the towers themselves are so tall Unlike the two turrets on Notre Dame, and unlike the Sydney Harbour Bridge, they move independently of each other.
0: The wind shakes the towers.
1: Exactly, and that is likely to cause cross-movement with the cable that will eventually make it too... Unstable, Unstable yeah. for him to walk across.
0: So, effectively, if he was doing this closer to the ground, he would throw another cable up and over vertically, so it ends up in a sort of a, an upside-down V, holding the wire down and just keeping it taut in one line so he can walk across it. Can't do that, way too high. So they effectively have to create... Guy ropes to hold the cable taut. Uh, so imagine one cable going across and then some diagonal lines poking out to it from one tower and diagonal lines poking out to it from the other tower just to prevent it from wobbling. Because one wobble and off you go. Allons-y. And the cable falls. The the main cable drops down towards the street and again, drops Zemeckis because he's like, in 3D! Like, just really loves shoving things in your face with his, like... This is an Image Movers digital film. They went after they'd done Beowulf and the uh, Polar Express and uh, Christmas Carol and Mars Needs Moms when Disney shut them down. They were like, fuck you, I'm going to go get my own wire-walking movie with blackjack and hookers. And uh, the, the the end of the cable stops just in front of the camera after plummeting, and it's an incredibly heavy... Table that they then have to pull up over a number of hours as they slowly approach the dawn, behind on time, just pulling, they spending all night with the last shred of strength they have left between them. And one of them fucking quits, that David the stoner freaks out and leaves, he's like, I can't take this man, he's gonna fall man! And uh, John Ralphio from Parks and Rec David Schwartz The guy who plays Sonic the Hedgehog And Dewey in DuckTales And uh, most recently Leonardo in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Quits Like he's still there But he's not going to help anymore He's just there to take photos And it's like fuck you man But also at the same time Thank you for taking photos No one else was there to be able to do that
1: Jean-Louis is a photographer Alright His friend is his official photographer When he's doing all his training Yeah So he was going to do the photographing, and then Albert goes, no, 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 I'll do that. I don't want to pull things.
0: (laughs) I don't want to pull things. Brilliant. (laughs) Thanks, Albert.
1: I think the... the Albert's hope at that point, at least the impression that I get for the the film, I don't know, I can't remember if they talked to Albert for the um, the documentary.
0: Oh no, he was there. yeah. Oh, was
1: he? Okay, cool. But the impression that I get from him is that at that point he wanted plausible deniability. He wanted to be able to. He was. It was the looming spectre of getting into trouble for doing this mm. that threw him off, and he wanted to be able to say, "I was not materially involved." The guys,
0: a regular Benedict Arnold. The attaching
1: Arnold. of the cables. I was just here to take some pictures. <laughs>
0: Uh Aha, so they're racing the Sun because as soon as they they, the light comes up and as soon as people start going into the towers And it's morning again. They're gonna get spotted. They're gonna get grabbed. This is starting to get very tense Um, But we also get to see Manhattan at night And this is something we've seen over and over and over again in so many films so many shows But there is something magnificent about that city. I love New York and I always have I think my first encounter with New York was the Spider-Man cartoons in the very early 80s. Spider-Man and Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. The the New York was skyscrapers. And it's usually with New York films, it's sort of you're down in the streets, you're looking up at these things. It's, It's rare that you spend so much time preoccupied with the top of one of them, or the top of two of them in this case. And then two nearly calamitous things happen first off he loses his turtleneck his turtleneck sweater falls off the tower lost into another life It came back as a miniskirt And they they also And this infuriates him Because he's like How can I walk On a wire And I am French Without my turtleneck a, a, This
1: great bit It falls And Annie sees it fall And for a minute She, she thinks, thinks it's, it's him, him yeah. And then realises That Because she's just watching a with
0: uh, From the street level With binoculars yeah. For hours
1: Um, And there's this great bit In the film Where Joe Gordon-Levitt's like How am I supposed to Go and do this Without my costume I will have to wear This ridiculous shirt And I'm like Dude it is exactly the same. It doesn't have the turtleneck part, but it is a black, long-sleeved, <laughs> t-shirt-style top. Will you shush? No one is gonna know the difference, apart from you. But of course, but that's, that's the a, point. Yeah. He will know the difference.
0: But that's the thing you don't act, you do not bring two of. You're like, know? oh, yeah. we gotta make sure we have two turtlenecks in case I drop one over the side. Mm. Uh, and But the other thing is a, a moment that got left out of the uh, documentary, because they didn't quite know how to put it in but gets really heightened in the film and is left very wordless. And that is the visit from the mysterious stranger. There is a man who turns up at dawn and wordlessly walks out to the uh, edge of the tower and looks down and he's in a suit and he turns and he looks at Philippe and uh, Jeff, Jean-Francois. And Philippe and uh, Jean-Francois look back at him and they're mostly ready to start the walk and... Jean-Francois notices that Philippe is holding a pipe, like a wrench, like a a blunt instrument. They never put it into words, but Jean-Francois appears to suspect that Philippe will clock this guy if Just he starts to raise the alarm. The alarm. Yeah. But there's another aspect to this, which I thought was so subtle that it may not have been intended, but you picked up on it as well, which is...
1: The fact that at that why point...
0: Why is this man up on why this is he roof there And
1: when he no, first comes up... He has out, no business there. He's not there looking for them. No. He sees... They've set up like they've rigged a trap on the steps just to make noise in case anybody comes up so that they will know if there's someone approaching. Mm. He sees it. He steps over it. At least that's the way it's framed in the film. And... So I suppose that could have given him an inkling that there was somebody up there, but he seems to have been going up there with a purpose. He doesn't look at them initially when he goes out. He goes straight to the edge, and then he looks down. Then he he sees them. them. And that's when you get this kind of wordless moment. And the only way that my brain could kind of frame this was that... Because I don't know to what extent people were working in the buildings at this point, but for him to be there that early in the morning... ...in his suit and to be able to be so silent and accepting
0: and... Strangely serene. Strangely,
1: serene and disinterested in what they are there for.
0: Like he gives them a bit of a thumbs up and then makes his exit.
1: Yeah. And it, it felt to me like that the potential that was the story that went on... If they he'd gone up there and they hadn't been there is that he goes off the top of that tower. Hmm. And because they were there, he, did. he didn't.
0: And then the actual walk begins, and we get that sense of, okay, it's now or never, and this, the, you know, as soon as I step my foot out onto this wire, then it begins. And both films handle this beautifully in different ways. The Zemeckis film really stretches it out a lot more. But... Uh, Nopidi by Eric Satie plays uh, during the documentary and there is no footage of this wire walk. There's, there's a few snapshots, there's uh, a few bits of uh, close-up stuff and a few shots from the ground and it's being described by the people who were there to see it to us. But there's no film existed. There wasn't anything that they could consult now. It was It's having to be described to you almost in the abstract more about what it felt like than what was actually happening. And in the Zemeckis film, the world kind of becomes clouds as JGL as Philippe steps out and has to become kind of one with the sky in order to get into the zone and be able to keep putting one foot in front of the other from the what is described from the wire walking experts. Stopping is way worse than carrying on.
1: Well, the momentum is part of what keeps you balanced.
0: And you can draw all kinds of profundity from that. The idea, if you stop, if you look down, if you ever actually accept the tenuousness of your grip on life at this stage. You will simply drop.
1: Like a bumblebee suddenly realising mid-flight that it's not got the right proportions to fly.
0: And there is a sense of serenity and there is solitude and Alan Silvestri's score plays. And very specifically, this theme felt like Titanic. And I think Zemeckis was very deliberately something about the imagery of seeing... New York City, from the Statue of Liberty. It ties it in with Rose beginning her new life at the end. they float in. and the, the romantic idea of this great structure that was built in defiance of, of, of reason and God, and then crashed and sank. And it's a it's a not untoward comparison, and they don't overhammer it home. And luckily, the level of spiritual freedom that is reached within the film itself warrants that level of melodramatic music i think now i don't know whether they took the same level of dramatic license for what happens next uh for uh the in the documentary because uh, they handled the actual walk in a surprisingly short amount of time, it's it's just it's the music and the shots of him and the the little descriptions as as Annie cries, thinking about how beautiful it was.
4: Yeah. J'ai vu Philippe. J'ai vu Philippe là où c'était extraordinaire. C'était tellement, tellement beau.
0: C'était comme
4: s'il marchait sur un nuage.
0: I reckon we all wish we could do anything that people would cry with joy over decades afterwards.
1: But this is what I mean. It's the the, the focus on the, the thing that actually gets done misses so much about what it's about. And the walk itself is, it's a theatrical performance. It's a piece of art in the sense that a, a uh, swirls of paint on a canvas.
0: Look at his use of colour.
1: (laughs) It's not what it is. It's the relationship it evokes between... The person who painted it, put it on the wall, and then the person who comes along and looks at it that could be hundreds and hundreds of years later. Hmm. It's a communicate this is what art is. It's a communication between the person who creates the art and the person who takes in the art. So film this is like a this.
0: print of that art.
1: Yeah, film does this. And but
0: that the, the art itself, like a dance or a magic trick, doesn't exist anymore, aside from yeah. in reference to it. So that print is is, is a reconstruction exactly. itself. Exactly. It
1: gives people who were not present for the actual performance...
0: Which is everyone.
1: ...an opportunity to experience mm. some of that communication mm. between Philippe and his audience that were that yeah. were there on the day. But look, you were saying about film and how that combination of visuals and music is transportive for you that's what's so precious about film in comparison to all the other forms of art that you can you can stand it next to and it absolutely can it is totally an art form it doesn't have to be a highfalutin arty type movie to be art but what it does is it takes like all the elements of how you're sensing with the exception of like smell and taste but it's taking your visual and your audio and it's saying put all that attention here and just have this little bubble where you just experience this communication of of emotions and I think what I really appreciate about the whole the documentary and then the film that, that came almost feels like part of it is that it was a preparation for a performance for an examination which the documentary is to a reconstruction and a a representation which the film is and all of that, everything from the time Philippe saw that picture in the magazine and thought I want to do this to the time that we sat down and watched The Walk the other day that whole thing is a piece of art In fact, I'll go beyond that, to the end of the person listening to this podcast that we have recorded and put out there about it. That whole thing is a conversation, an an emotional conversation.
0: And Zemeckis, uh, after this transcendent moment, focuses on the defiance aspect of it, because then the cops come up on the roof and they're like, whoa, 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 what's this guy, this pencil neck, running back and forth, Frenchy, between the towers, you, you come back here now. And in real life, they mention in the documentary, they got a police helicopter flying near him to discourage him from, from walking, it's like, Guess what's gonna happen, guys, if absolutely. you keep trying to interfere? The- but it's almost like, and then he fell. Well, he shouldn't have been doing that. If he falls because you made him fall, at least then you feel like you, you feel have like control. You control,
1: absolutely. And it's like that's what it becomes for them. They. You never had
0: control. That's the illusion. This is- God, I love you, Ellie Settler.
1: This is where the conflict sets in between them. To maintain their sense of control, they need him to come down because they told him to.
0: Yeah, he—they do he, not want him to. To maintain his sense yeah. of
1: freedom, he needs to come down when he's ready to. Yeah. And the 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 thing that really blew my mind when the cops the those first, first two cops come out on top of the roof and they're like the way they're acting is as if he is suicidal and about to jump.
0: Hey, and buddy. Do you know how
1: long he has been setting this up, getting up here, how long he spent on this wire already? If he wanted to jump, he'd have done it by now!
0: Yeah. But what he's doing is too extraordinary and way of They, off they their can't books, wrap their head around it. They can't. It. They cannot wrap their head around it. So, uh, like a cheeky fucker, he goes, okay, I'm just going to come in. No, I'm going to turn around again. And
1: again, but that's because he needed it to be when he felt complete when he was in a moment of i think he refers to it as a moment of victory hmm. not victory over them just for this this experience to feel complete and he had hit that pinnacle and was still there when he decided hmm. that it was over
0: and uh, he he seems to be goading them by going back and forth between two groups of keystone cops at the uh, tops of these towers they
1: keep, like leaning out and snatching Should at them like, no, hook, don't his do that.
0: hook his bell bottom hook his bell bottom and uh, one of, like, the, of, of a moment that's sort of been leading up to in the whole thing is uh, when he lies down for a while on the wire and at one point he gets onto his knee Again, remember, he's bleeding from his foot so he is not in the best shape, he hasn't slept, he hasn't... He's barely eaten, he's got nothing, but he is fed and nourished by this moment and energized and while kneeling he salutes his audience And that is not just the cops, not just the friends and the compasses and betrayers, uh, but the entire world sort of watching him. It's, It's a moment of arrogance, but the salute is not a presumptuous bow to an applause you know is coming for a feat you consider yourself worthy of applause for. No, a salute is an expression of gratitude from a humble performer to their audience, thanking them for sharing this moment that is not a a moment of arrogance that is a moment of humility yeah
1: and it and the way it comes across especially when in the film you've got it preceded by papa rudy explaining to him what the purpose of the the salute is this the circle closes and it's like he's thanking new york for giving him this experience like not not I'm going to say not the people of New York because obviously it isn't something that they have permitted they have come here to witness it but they didn't know it was going on and that was part of the point but the city itself the the spirit of New York itself for giving him the idea for it, setting things up in such a way that it came together and they were able to pull it off and for giving him this experience that he can never replicate anywhere else
0: And then when they finally grab him, when he steps to the edge of the uh, uh, cable, puts up his hands to be uh, handcuffed and says, my name is Philippe Petit and I am... And they're just like grabbing him and yanking him down. Are you... They do not know how to deal with this guy.
3: Also, I got done for jumping a 20p tube fare. This is my whole crime sheet, right? (laughs) It's quite an interesting read. 20p. This is not Don Corleone. This is Don Crap. (laughs) <laughs> I jumped to 20p underground tube fair, and I was waving a pass at the time, it was, you know, it was, it was drawn on a Rizzler or something it was, a, it was Bishop of Durham pass, I was going, oh, Bishop of Durham, bless you my son <laughs> <laughs> And the guy said, you're not Bishop of Durham, he wears a bigger hat than that So the, he got me, and he said, I've got him, I've got the 20p kid, you've caused us You've caused this pound sixty worth of trouble. You have in your time. I've got him. I'll be promoted in the underground system. I'll get my own darkness. <laughs> then an off-duty policeman came in. He had a, a pot plant and a camera on his way home for a good night's photographing pot plants. I suppose <laughs> this is just, this is about bizarre but true. This is what he had. And so he said, oh, "I've got him too. I'll get promoted, King of Metropolitan Police." And so I thought, "I'm going down for twenty p." I thought, thought, well, this won't look good. I'll run for it. I'll run for it, like like Mel Gibson in the film Gallipoli and other people in running films. (laughs) So I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran and after five inches, they caught me. (laughs) They called for backup. By now, 20 policemen coming down, thousands of pounds worth of police work. We got the 20p kid. 20ps are safe from now on. And three policemen pulled me for five minutes I don't know if you've ever had this, they grabbed one leg each and I don't know if they were working, they they obviously weren't working together and they just, they thought I was struggling like crazy, I'd given up at this point, but one over here was going, don't struggle there, don't struggle, (laughs) people over here going, don't you fucking struggle, (laughs) so it was a continuous machine of them pulling against each other, I had one hand free for going, hi, how are you, (laughs) I'll talk about this in many years. And then they put me in, P- in Bow Street overnight, and then I got done for ass- That became assaulting a police officer. <laughs> Surely it was stretching a pedestrian. <laughs> it was, it, it, I mean, I got done for assault, and I was running away. Surely ass- assault is motion towards, I feel. <laughs> it takes the accusative. Very rare in wartime, they go, assault that hillock over there. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Can we do a bit of stretching here? I should have been done for deserting a police
0: officer, <laughs> And they make a huge fuss out of it, but he is happy. He is serene now, and there's a lot of talk and this and that, and it actually ends up being really good publicity for the Twin Towers, because people are like, "Wow, got- they must surely be the tallest towers in all the world. I, Walter Cronkite, can confirm this. And I, Richard Nixon, can express nothing but contempt for this Frenchy peacenik. Rather than simply reward him, they actually do, he does have to go to court and he does have to to serve a sentence. And the sentence is, he has to do another wire walk safely in Central Park with a group of people around yeah, for to for the
1: entertainment uh, for the entertainment of the, of the
0: people uh, yeah. of New York, and uh, they they deleted this scene or they, they kept it very very minimal in the uh, the uh, Zemeckis film, but I, 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 I there's there's a deleted scene of it, and it's it's really kind of lovely to sort of see Annie watching him, but knowing that this is now approaching the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that when as well when he comes off the wire, his thoughts are still. There's still room there for the practical. The police go to cut the wire and he stops them.
0: Because it would just because fall it would
1: He said the tension is so grey, the way it flings itself out, you, mm. you're going to hurt people. You yeah. can't do that. We've got to take it down properly.
0: Yeah. So it's not just all about him. It's not just all about everyone look at me. It is like, you know, this has been done, we, but we do not want to hurt anyone. Absolutely. We, we don't want anyone it, suffering for what I've done.
1: It reminded me very much of theatre performance where there's often there's often a way that theatre actors are looked at that's like they're totally egotistical, they have to have everybody's eyes on them, but it, there's, a, there's a side of it where it is not about them personally it's about the performance of the theatre as a whole
0: Then there was the time they gave me seven cat calls! That,
1: that whole thing about the show must go on It is rooted in the idea that it doesn't matter if your leg is falling off. I don't care if you stepped on a nail on the way in. We have worked so hard to make this performance, and this performance Mm. on this night or this morning or whenever it is, is only going to happen once.
0: Mustn't keep the punters waiting, lovey.
1: Something like that, yeah. It's very difficult to communicate, but that's. If you've ever been close
0: to a theatre troupe, you will know that they don't operate on the same level as regular Mm. people, and that's beautiful and sad and uh, thrilling,
1: ridiculous and and tragic, and hilarious. It is, and it's
0: energizing to be around because they keep each other going with their passion. Yes. Hmm. And. Speaking of passion in the uh documentary but not in the film
1: yeah
0: uh, uh... <laughs> Philippe and uh, Annie... Hey,
1: we, we want to get this a PG-13.
0: ...go to a hotel room and it basically kind of reenact that uh, William Tell overture in uh, A Clockwork Orange and have... Only
1: it, just with two of them.
0: Yeah, only just with two of them. And have very PG-13, super sped-up sex running around in the hotel room in there all together. And um, it's it's just it was described as a release of passion. Like, you've just come off the the twin tower walk what are you going to do i am going to go to a hotel room and explode in passion and it's it's kind of a wonderful way of just sort of re- getting back in touch with life and humanity and and each other for just this Moment. Yeah.
1: But I, I, again, I love the way the, the film reflects the documentary without simply replicating it. Yeah. By, in the documentary, he says, I was supposed to go and meet all of the accomplices, all the team were going to get together and we were going to have a meal and we were going to have wine and we were going to talk about what had happened. Instead, I took Annie to a hotel room. In the film, he meets them all at the restaurant and they all have wine and dinner and talk about what happened. <laughs>
0: So creative license with original plans. (laughs) Indeed. And, yeah, the journey is now over. It's the end of his old life and the beginning of of, of the new life for for him and Annie in particular. He stayed in New York and she eventually went. And there's just such a a wistfulness about the, uh, the film. And obviously this was the absolute high point of his life in 1974 as a young man. But the being involved with the documentary, which began, I believe, because they heard him on Desert Island, they, the British production crew heard him on Desert Island Discs in 2005, because there was a lot of talk about the uh, the Twin Towers, obviously after 9-11 for, for several years, there was a, a lot of sort of remembering things that had been accomplished. And obviously his experience was extraordinary. And then from that radio Uh, skit came there was uh, a short animated film which is narrated by Jake Gyllenhaal the man between the towers and that's on the uh, blu-ray disc and then from that stemmed the documentary and then from that stemmed the walk and Philippe was part of this all the way And, and and just being able to get all of these people together to sort of convey this one crazy stupid heist where nothing was stolen apart from the dignity of those who did not want to lose their dignity and he ends up like shaking the mayor's hand who's played by paul giamatti and he's like don't ever do this again and here's your pass to come back to the world trade center and uh this this viewing platform whenever you want and
1: You know the filmmakers know exactly what they mean and the audience knows exactly what they mean, but nobody has to say it out loud. And that is when uh, Philippe is given a freedom pass to go up onto the towers, onto the the terraces to look out, and they are usually date limited. Mm -hmm. And he was given one that said forever, but he can't use it anymore.
0: Yeah. But I love the idea that a moment can be captured and crystallized in film so that it can last effectively forever or for as long as we can hold on to it. Thank you as always to our top tier patrons. Aaron LeCluze, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman... Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salgero, Dan Hetner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G., Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Heleshayu, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And We've been watching more documentaries over recent years one of the good things about Netflix is documentaries clearly don't cost much to retain and keep for a long time You can get some fantastic ones on there about so much and I find at the end of my year when I'm compiling my lists of my favorite films that there's the usual Marvel blockbusters and and, and and you know high concept sci-fi and and like you know really impressive powerhouse performances and things that you'd expect me to love. But then really high at the top you get things like Summer of Soul, you get things like Crip Camp, you get things like all things must pass the rise and fall of Tower Records. To be able to be in that moment in documentary form is very powerful and it can create a cinematic experience which resonates and stays with you because often it's about a thing that no one else really focuses on in that level of detail and they feel more singular in that regard a really really well-made documentary can do that and the recreation film accomplishes that same thing with a level of additional visual poetry to really put you in that headspace this is what i mean about them complementing each other there are going to be different crowds who prefer one over the other or who like us love them both and and, and feel that they're like a yin-yang of this one particular moment and there'll be people who like very specifically don't like one of them over the other but it's very difficult to imagine people sitting down to watch either of these and hating it because it is humbly profound and the whole thing really does feel like that salute to the audience of like thank you for letting me do this and for witnessing me doing it rather than trying to come across as we are trying to tell you about the meaning of life. It's gather from this art what you feel we are conveying. And that is all from us this week. If you're on Patreon at the $5 level, you will have been able to listen to two commissioned after-school clubs from Alexa Vargas. The Old Ways and Phantom of the Paradise, which means that next week is the end of our commission season, but we saved a good one till last. So grab your bubblegum, because you don't want to run out of that, and gear up for the cult classic anti-establishment sci-fi from John Carpenter, They Live. Until then, j'étais Alex Shaw.
1: J'étais Sharon Shaw.
0: Au revoir revoir pour pour le moment et Et l'école Siphony like a bird
6: on the wire, like a drunken in a midnight choir. I have tried in my way to be free. I have saved all my ribbons for thee if I if I have been unkind I hope that you can just let it go by.
4: all
6: oh, like a baby still born like a beast with his